this, I guess the single thing we found most challenging was the whole investment raising business, because obviously you are very, very exposed. You're very reliant on, on other people and what they think of you. You know, it can be quite a, it's an exhausting and quite a, a soul destroying process in some way. From Positive Momentum, this is Meet to the CEO, a show that takes you behind the scenes of the working lives of people who've reached what some might call the pinnacle of the career ladder. I'm Matt Crabtree, the founder of Positive Momentum, and on today's show, we meet Anik Island, founder and CEO of ethical and sustainable online fashion platform Immaculate Vegan. In 2016, Anik became a vegan, but soon discovered that finding stylish, high-quality vegan fashion was just more than a little bit challenging. But after a lot of time searching, she found that there were in fact many fantastic vegan fashion brands out there, but they were just too far beneath the radar for people to notice them. So, with a background that included stints as a CMO in several large media organizations, her business brain went to work. And in 2018, she launched ImmaculateVegan.com, a beautiful retail platform that matches its promise by offering a carefully curated range of super stylish, totally accessible vegan fashion and accessories. Tapping instantly into an unmet demand, the business has gone from strength to strength, including coverage in Vogue, GQ and Cosmopolitan, to name but a very few. Now, as you're going to hear, Anik is a perfect example of the kind of leader we really need for our times. One who understands completely how to be both purpose and profit driven and accepts no contradiction between these two. In fact, is showing how one can serve and brilliantly accelerate the other. I started out as we always do on Meet the CEO by asking Anik, why she became a CEO. Why did I become a CEO? So so I think there's a couple of answers to this question. So one is I just, I had a company that I I wanted to exist, essentially. Um, You know, I had an idea, which is the business I now run, Immaculate Vegan, um, which is, you know, essentially a very mission-driven business, right? It's fundamentally about changing how people buy and, and, you know, in, in some way changing the world. And for that business to exist, somebody needed to run it. So I didn't have anyone else. Uh, so so it was me. So so that was sort of always the accidental bit, I guess. Um, but the other reason I think is that I essentially really like autonomy. You know, I've I've I think I've worked with leaders that I think are amazing, but I've also worked with leaders that are really not amazing. Um, and haven't we all? Haven't we all? Haven't we all? Exactly. And um, so yeah, I think I think you know I love working for myself. I knew that I'd be probably the most effective if I could work, for, you know, for myself. But but we're still with a really good team, um, and still with a with a co-director as well. So yeah, so so that that's why I think that combination. Amazing, amazing. And you're just coming to the end of your year, at Immaculate Vegan. You've had a fantastic year, I hear. Yes, we've had a really good year. So this is our first, our second full year of trading. Um, our financial year ends January, and it's been really really good. So we have more than trebled our business. Um, both top line and bottom line, which is really, really good. We've wow. we've smashed all our targets. Congratulations. Um, and we're about to go into raising our next round of investment. We we raised last year. That was our first round. So that that hugely helps as well. We've had a great Christmas, which is obviously really key for, for a retail business like us. So yeah, we're very happy. That's really exciting. And I'm sure lots of our listeners will be really interested in the existence um, of Immaculate Vegan. Did, when you were looking at it, 
was there really nobody doing this kind of thing? Like, it's not a new idea, is it? Yeah. So, so no, there, there wasn't really anyone doing it in the way that we wanted to or that I wanted to. So there are, you know, essentially we're a, you know, we're an online department store, right? So we're a multi-brand retailer. Um, there were other retailers and other marketplaces in the sustainable space, but they weren't vegan and they were calling themselves ethical or sustainable, but fundamentally they were selling things that, you know, we really don't think are ethical or sustainable, like wool and fur and leather, which is ubiquitous. Um, there were a few and are a few vegan retailers, but not, I would say at the sort of the premium end of the market. So, um, they're more sort of, you know, generally a bit more homegrown looking. Um, they're not, you know, not necessarily so strongly curated. And we, we really firmly wanted to create a platform that's, that's all about showing essentially that vegan fashion is amazing. It's beautiful. It's well-designed. It's high quality. It's desirable. And that, that really, I think, wasn't being done. And, and still, I don't think, is being done. So, yeah, I think, I think it was a unique space. Well, it's a really beautiful um, website and it's beautifully curated. Um, Thank you, you. You and your team have just done the most amazing job. And I hope our listeners, uh, vegan or not, go and take a look and see the products and see that all of these things are not just accessible, but are beautiful in their own right. So yeah. congratulations to you and well done on an amazing year. Thank but you. this is Meet the CEO. And so yeah. it, we're trying to find out about you and the way you go about living your life as a founder CEO in your case. Mm-hmm. What part of your day, Anik, it's been a funny mm-hmm. old couple of years that you've had business in. <laughs> so yes. I suspect no two days are the same. But is yeah. there a part of your day that is that is sacrosanct, that you preserve at all costs? Yes. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not necessarily at the same time of day or anything like that, but there are, there are two kind of things that I think are preserve at all costs. And I think this is really important as well because um, there are essentially two things. I think one is time for me and things that I know are going to help me mentally and work on my reserves of energy and resilience. And the other is time with um, people that I'm closest to that I value the most. So in the, in the first category, the thing that I've kind of been doing in the last year is, um, is wild swimming. So I'm lucky enough to live near Hampstead Ponds. Um, and, we, you know, along with a friend, we, we started last autumn when it was when the water was warm. So we didn't, you know, we, we didn't start in the cold. We started when it was warm and we've just been going every single week, you know, at least three times a week we go. Uh, we now have pretty sort of standard times when we go as well. And that just happens like regardless um, like I will, I will cancel anything in order to do that. Um, and that for me has been just so important because I'm sure we'll talk about this later. Um, but you know, it, yeah, it can be, can be exhausting. It can be very lonely. It can be very difficult running your own business. And well, and actually it's not just running your own business, you know, every, every job has that, right? Absolutely. And, and I think you just have to really pay attention to time for yourself and to your mental health and make sure you do have reserves of resilience when needed because they will be needed, you know, um, and, and yeah, so, so that, and that has, that has paid off, you know, I've definitely noticed the massive benefits in that. Um, I'm, I'm going after this podcast right now. Are you really? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I think... There's now three degrees in the water. Uh, it, it's amazing. We absolutely love it. I could not recommend cold swimming enough, by the way. It is, it is brilliant. Of all of our guests, you're the first to report uh, wild swimming. We've had plenty of people who do um, athletic endeavours, but the, you're the first that's reported at least doing wild swimming. Yeah, do you wear a, it's really good. Do you wear a dry suit or I mean? No, I wear like a little sort of mini like shorts and and top, um, and then socks and gloves. But there are you know there are there are octogenarians in this pond wearing bikinis. 
with 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 you know nothing else nothing else to keep them warm merrily swimming around like you know like they're in the bahamas and it's, and it's you know 30 degrees it's amazing it's the most amazing place and very inspiring well, that's fantastic. I love that. And we shall uh, we shall think of you. And, <laughs> and you may well have inspired a few extra wild Excellent. swimmers with your uh, with that experience. Um, let's talk about things that have been challenging. I mean, I'm clearly leaving corporate life uh, where you were yeah. very successful. You had a fantastic career. We knew you. That's how we got to know you in your uh, yeah. corporate existence as a CMO. Um, moving and becoming a founder CEO must have been challenging in itself. But is there a particular event or situation that you've encountered as a CEO? Um, and what have you, of course, what have you learned from it that you can yeah, share yeah. with our listeners? Well, so what I think one thing I would say is, and and you know, hopefully this will just reassure people if they're thinking of doing the same thing, is it's definitely not as challenging as I think is navigating the corporate world at all. Um, or at least I, you know, I found that. I guess you know, they're just very, very different types of challenges, aren't there? I mean, the thing, the, so I guess the single thing we found most challenging was the whole investment raising business, because obviously you are very, very exposed. You're very reliant on, on other people and what they think of you. You know, it can be quite a, it's an exhausting and quite a, a soul destroying process in some way. I mean, my learning just around, around that process was just, you know, it takes a really long time. You have to start really early. Um, but I guess, the, you know, the other, the, the two things I think I would, take into it again and actually into just lots of situations that are really brand new because that's really what you're doing when you're a CEO essentially the startup where everything you're doing is you know it's for the first time you're, you're encountering so many brand new situations I think it's find some people that you can trust that can help you navigate it and that that for us was a real turning point once we found a couple of people that could you know who knew the investment world knew how it worked and kind of say okay this is what you need to do and oh my god don't talk to that person or don't listen to that but do listen to that you know that kind of stuff is hugely helpful um and i think i think the other thing that i really learned is also really what you're selling is yes you need to be on top of your numbers and you need to have a great story but really you're selling your passion and your drive and your motivation and that needs to come across really clearly and actually and not to be shy about that at all and so i think you know in our, in our initial conversations we were probably held ourselves back a bit and we were more about you know look at these great numbers doesn't this look really good and actually, it's just it's just about, you know, your passion needs to shine through. And, and that will do the job, I think, in, in many cases, as long as you've got all the other stuff to back you up. So that, yeah, that was my biggest learning. It's true in so many parts. Well, be yourself, be authentic, be passionate. Doesn't matter yeah. what you're doing, right? Those, yeah. th those things are good. What, what about finding people? That's a really uh, useful tip to people is, you know, find those people. How do you find those people, though? Because I can imagine lots of people go, yeah. yeah, right. No, of course, you've got to find people who are experts in these fields. But how how did you go about finding those people? Was it people that you knew already or that your co-directors knew? Or It was you... a real combination, you know. So we definitely, because we had our first funding rating round, so it wasn't massive. So, that, so we had quite a lot of angels and a lot of those were people, you know, people we knew, uh, you know, including someone I worked with at Central. Um, so, so it was a combination of that. But actually it was just, so, so initially, and this is another learning as well, we did sort of talk to people that were essentially introducers, that worked as introducers. Um, and I would say that was a bit of a mistake because what I realized is they just had a database from lots of people that they were linked into and I could really do the same. So what I really did was just spent a lot of time on LinkedIn, um, researching people, you know, you find one person, they, they take to the next person or somebody you contact them, you know, and they say, well, actually you're a bit small for us right now, but you should really talk to these other firms. And, and it was just putting in, you know, putting in the hard graft, I think. Um, and now we've got a database of about, you know, 60 people to go back to for our next round. 
So yeah, just, just put, putting in the hours. I mean, some, some stuff you can just really do yourself pretty easily. Um, so yeah, that actually really wasn't the hardest bit, I don't think. And accepting that sort of one thing can lead to another. So just because somebody says yeah, they're not interested yeah. now or even ever doesn't mean they don't know somebody or they might be in the future because you'll be going back to people who said, well, come back to us when, you, when you've got a couple of years trading and you're going to go back to some people on that list with a couple of splendid years trading. Yeah, exactly. I mean, most people we, we talked to were really, really helpful. Even if we weren't, we didn't fit in their category of what they invested in, most people would give us recommendations of elsewhere to go. So yeah, yeah. I found in general people, people were really good in that way. People want to help passionate people and yeah. purpose-led businesses as you yeah. are, especially yeah. people want to help. So good for you. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what you've learned along the way um, uh, up towards becoming a CEO or maybe even while you were. Who's most influenced hmm. the way that you uh-huh. lead? You, you said at the beginning, you know, you've had good leaders and not so good, just like all of us. Let, yeah. Let's have some of the good ones. Who, Ooh, who's, okay. who's influenced you? So, so there's one, I guess, there's one standout uh, manager that I had, and this was, me- this was many years ago, but he's a man called Mark Carnegie Brown. Um, and he was my boss at a company at, um, that was called Reed Elsevier that's now called Relics. And what was, and I'm still in, I'm still in contact with him. He was, you know, he, he's, he's, a, you know, he's a friend now, but, um, what was amazing. So I was a marketing manager at the time and I was, there was a marketing director position available, which, which is what I went for. And I didn't really have enough, you know, I had very little experience. There were other people way more experienced than me. Um, and he, he gave me a chance. And I think, what I, what I found outstanding about his leadership were two things. So one, which I really had not come across before, one was just a lack of ego um, in that he was just incredibly straightforward, straight talking man that really valued other people and valued his team and saw their potential. And it really was not about him at all. And I found that extraordinary just because I really hadn't seen that. And to be honest, I haven't seen that that much, you know, that, that lack of ego. And I think I remember doing a, a, um, like a leadership course once. And one of the things that was talked about was this Harvard Business Review um, study that, that found that actually one of the key leadership qualities was humility. It's called level, level five leadership and, and you know, the importance of humility. Mm. Um, and I think humility is so undervalued and it's one of the most important leadership traits and you often don't see it. But, but he had humility and very strong will and drive. And those two things combined, I think, were amazing leadership. Um, and yeah, he just, he had massive confidence in people and in his team and he had faith in them and he would trust them. And again, that I think is a very powerful leadership trait because it basically meant that, you know, he got the most out of his team. Um, so yeah, so, so that I would say is yeah, he's, he's the most influential leader I've, I've ever had. Yeah, that's really amazing. And it's fascinating that you talk about that humility component. Other CEOs that we've interviewed um, during the course of Make the CEO have actually, but we've had some superb exemplars of that humility. And it feels a bit like we're moving into the era or we're in the era of humility and empathy. You know, COVID, if it's taught us yeah. anything, has taught us that empathizing with people's situations and actually understanding that it's not all about you, that there are things that we cannot control yeah. has been, I think, for many leaders, an enormously positive lesson in amongst an awfully yeah. cloud of experience yeah i think i think that's totally true and actually i went back and looked at this um at this article and it was published in 2001 so it's not like this is a new thing either but i just think you're, you're right it hasn't really been recognized as as a really important leadership trait 
but they're out there. Those, they, those they are out there. And, leaders, they're out there. Yeah, and when you meet them, I mean, you know, you notice it, right? Because they're really different. They and, and they are very transformational. I think they really are. They really are. So talking of transformation and growth, um, yeah. you're you're building your team at Immaculate Vegan, but you've also been part of many teams. You, you yeah. described one there at, at Reed Elsevier. Um, you know, I knew you as as a member of an executive team of of one of our clients. Mm. What do you think the secret is to a really effective executive team? A lot of the people who were lucky enough to subscribe to this podcast, you know, are sitting in executive teams and are either thinking about their futures or they're thinking about how to work with their colleagues. What, what for you is the secret to a really effective exec team? Yeah, I think I think it's a combination of alignment and diversity, and they might sound like opposite things but but they're not at all so what I mean by alignment is I think it's really important to be aligned in terms of your goals and in terms of your values so certainly I feel you know I feel that massively with my co-founder Simon you know we fundamentally want exactly the same things for the business we want it to go in the same direction and we have the same values we believe fundamentally in the same things and that I think is hugely important and obviously what you know what helps to build that alignment is really open and really frequent communication as well um, where, you know, you're not afraid to be really open with each other and challenge each other um, and, and deal with issues, you know, all of that good stuff. But I think the diversity element is also really important. And what I mean by that is where you bring different things to the table, because, you know, even in a, in a team that's really, really small like ours, we have to do so many different things and we can't do it all. And it massively helps us to be able to have different skill sets, even different attitudes towards things. You know, so things that might get me down, for example, Simon might be really positive about and he will help kind of bolster me up and, and vice versa. I might do that with him with different situations um, because, you know, you always come across so many things that you can't do and you need other people to be able to step in and do that really well. So you need diversity of skills, diversity of experiences, diversity of viewpoints, um, you know, diversity of backgrounds, all of those different things I think are really important as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a, again, a, been acute focus on it hasn't there in the last yeah. particularly last 24 months but it feels like it's taken us a very long time to wake up to it and I know as a as a founder CEO as well although my business is is 19 years this year wow um, congratulations well <laughs> we've we've made it this far yeah but I know as a as a founder CEO, it can be hard when you meet people who you know are very different to you. And, and I mean, in our business, we intellectually even understand the value of diversity, but it's still, I found it sometimes jarring. I have to catch myself to go, no, this is great that they are very different to me and I've got very different experiences, but it's not natural. Do you do you find it's natural or do you find you have to work at it? Oh, I think you definitely have to work on it. But I think it's also why the alignment to goals and values is really important. Because if I meet somebody that's, yeah, could I work with somebody that's very different from me, but also has different, fundamentally different values? No, that wouldn't work. I mean, it definitely wouldn't work with our business. You know, if somebody came along and said, I don't believe in, you know, a vegan future. Uh, and I don't, yeah. and I, don't, I don't really care at all about ethics or sustainability. Be an obstacle. That, that kind of is not going to work. But I think if you do, if you do have that alignment around goals and values, it really it, it helps to navigate any other differences because you've always got something that will fundamentally bring you together. And and you know, going back to that word empathy that you use, which is so important, will create that empathy. You can't really. I think it's a very it's harder to have empathy without that. But because that makes empathy so much easier then it also makes it then much easier to, to you know, to 
to deal with somebody that might have really different views, you know, that you do in other ways or just has, has a you know, different culture from you or a different background from you. But yeah, I think I think it is something you need to work on. But again, I think it's also a practice that the more you do it, the more the easier it becomes. And That's if you true. work in diverse teams, it becomes much more natural as well. Well, and you see the success from it, don't you? You see just, you know, commercially, yeah. culturally, how it enriches your organisation. And naturally, if you're ambitious like you and I are, then you want more of that. And so yeah. but, it, but I still, maybe it's me, I, I, I really find I have to concentrate on it. Yeah. Um, because uh, it's not not yet as natural as I as yeah, I, hope yeah, yeah. I hope it will be one day. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're we're running out of time a little bit. I have a couple of last quick questions for you. Yeah, sure. um, the penultimate one is about big changes on your horizon. You've told us about uh, investment rounds that you've got ahead yeah. of you. Which sounds super exciting. We are uh, maybe by the time this podcast goes out, um, certainly in the UK, we'll be past restrictions. We're coming blinking out of. Hopefully, out of the pandemic sooner rather than later. But what's a what are the really big changes on your horizon, Anik? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, we're kind of we're switching from being a startup to a scale up. That's our that's our really big change, and that comes with so many different considerations. So you know, we now have to build a bigger team. Um, obviously, you know that means less control, but it also means you know all the so much extra time and energy and skills that we can bring in. So that's really really exciting. But it does. But it, it fundamentally for us means running the business in actually a very, very different way. You know, when you have a startup, you don't really have that many processes because you don't know what they should be yet. You're doing everything for the first time. You're doing, you know, a lot of things yourself. And our next stage is going to be actually about building the foundations of a really robust and scalable business. And that means a lot more focus on technology, on processes, on platforms, on people and culture. You know, and you have a few people, you can start to have a culture. Um, so, so that is all really exciting. But it is actually, yeah, it's about running a, a totally different kind of business, really. Um, but yeah, super excited about it. It's the big challenge, isn't it, for all startups is you, there's a point and you hear this story again and again, don't you? There's lots of other fantastic podcast series that interview people who've scaled their businesses up. I'm sure you've been an avid listener yeah. like me. There's a point, isn't there, the where what got you here won't get you yeah, there, and you exactly. have to make that pivot. And it yeah. sounds like you're you're we at are, that point. We are definitely at that point. I mean, the first two years was a lot about building the brand, getting great brands on it that we could sell, getting you know, getting customers showing traction. But actually, now there's almost there's not that much point growing sales and customers more if we haven't got that really good platform. And because also that's, a, that's also about creating a really strong customer experience and that makes people come back. So, so yeah, that, that sort of that foundation bit for me is the single most important thing you know, to do that, that and getting really good people in. And then almost like, you know, the getting in customers bit is the easier bit, I would say, than the operational bit. I thought it would be the harder bit, but it's really not. The operations of running a business are the hardest bit by far. Well, and you're in the online retailing business where expectations of customers are so high, aren't they? Really, really high, really high, exactly. And you're competing with businesses, you know, in terms of customer experience, um, that are multi-billion pound businesses that have huge amounts of money to spend on their platforms and their processes and their technology. So, yeah, that bit is really... And you have to become an expert in things like how to import taxes work and, you know, shipping and all, all kinds of things I never... Never wanted to have to know that much about, but now I have to. <laughs> Things you never thought you'd have oh, to learn. But, yeah, yeah. But it allows you to differentiate. Your chance to differentiate is huge, yeah. not just with your purpose, but with the way that you operate. Yeah. Hopefully. Hey, listen, last quick question. I know you are very busy. Um, three 
quick bits of advice yeah. for anyone out there aspiring to to take your path? I think you gave a bit of advice right at the very beginning, um, but yeah. but tell us your big three tips. Yeah. Okay. So I think number one I would say is work out if it's really for you because it's not for everyone. Um, because it's, you know it's not it's not just about leading people and strategizing and getting to do exciting things. It's actually about doing lots of really 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 boring things as well. You know, particularly if you are dealing with a startup. You have to be very, you know, huge attention to detail. You have to be very, very organized. Um, you know, you have to try and think about everything. It can, it can be really exhausting. It's also massively rewarding. But I think basically just you need to know yourself and know whether it really is going to be good for you. Um, and there's no shame in, you know, if it's not. Um, I think the second thing is about just embracing different styles of leadership. So, you know, the kind of stuff we just touched upon. But I think often, you know, depending on where you've been before, that may have not been the style of leadership that you have grown up with but that doesn't mean that's what you have to do you know if it's on your terms you can do anything and I think that's massively exciting you know just because one company or all companies give 25 days holiday a year it doesn't mean you have to you can do something different you can give more time you can do time off to go wild swimming uh you know you can make the rules um so I think I think that's really exciting that you can you can change all the rules and you can do whatever you want um, and ultimately, you know, run a very different and maybe more, much more exciting and successful business. And then that third one just comes back to that look after yourself, because, you know, especially if you are the CEO, no one's managing you. So you, you have to manage yourself. And, you, and, that, and that also means making sure that you take time for yourself, that you look after your mental health. You know, if you, if you have a breakdown in two years time, you're not going to be running a successful business anymore. So you've got to, you've got to make sure that happens. And that means paying attention to those things every day not just in two years time when you, then you work out, you can't deal with it anymore. You've, you've got to do it in advance. I think, you know, resilience, I don't think is a trait. I think it's something you practice and you build. Um, so yeah, that, that's, those are my three tips. Very good. Resilience is something you practice and build is a very, very good way to finish our conversation. I'd love to chat to you for longer, but that lake needs swimming in your wild swim. You do, <laughs> you need to go swimming. And we are so delighted to hear about the success of Immaculate Vegan. We wish you the Thank greatest you. of success and look forward to staying in touch and seeing it going from strength to strength as you scale up the business. Congratulations. Thank you so much um, for your time. And we'll talk to you again very soon, I'm sure. Amazing. Thank you so much, Matt. Anique isn't our first founder CEO guest on a purposeful mission, but she is, I think, the first wild swimmer we've had on the show. More brilliant advice to add to our Meet the CEO library there, including the evergreen reminder that it's always at least as much about making sure that your passion shines through as it is about knowing your numbers. And it's yet another CEO who says great teams are about that combination of alignment and diversity and that for her, the most undervalued trait she sees in leaders is a simple dose of humility. Also, some super advice on that journey from startup to scale up, especially when it comes to taking ownership for building your own database of possible advisors and investors. And I wonder if there's something in that tip or at least an adaptation of it for all of us to think about. Thanks again, Anik. Best wishes with Immaculate Vegan. And thanks to you for listening. We hope you're enjoying our fortnightly Meet the CEO episodes. And if you are, 
do me a quick favor and give us a rating or a comment. We want to get this advice out to the widest possible audience and it's your ratings that really help to give us extra visibility. Meantime, best wishes to you in all your endeavors and I look forward to welcoming you to the very next episode of Meet the CEO from Positive Momentum.